Okay, so today's daf is Kaf Hey in Psachim. We are beginning eleven lines from the bottom of the of Kaf Amud Bet, which uh, where it says um, Amar Abaye. Last word of the line is Amar, followed by Abaye. First word of the next line. Amar Abaye Hakol Modim Kilea Kerem Shlokin Aleira Fil Shlokin This whole issue that we started discussing yesterday about whether items that are uh, uh, that are um, that you're not allowed to benefit from, if you benefit from them in a way that is shelo keder chana'atan, is not the way that is, you normally benefit from them. It's not the typical way of benefiting. It's a type of benefit like uh, rubbing the fats on your body, like we said yesterday, would be an example of that. But kilea ker, well, yeah, or the, or the juice, which is, that that was the discussion, whether the juice that is from a, um, right, whether, the, whether the, the issue there is that it's not really considered the fruit, or is that, uh, or is the issue that it's, uh, that it's kshelo keder chana'atan. But here with kilea kerem, it doesn't matter whether it's keder chana'atan or not, whether it's the normal way of benefiting from that item or not is irrelevant in the case of kilea kerem. Kilea kerem is the mixed seeds of a vineyard and something else, a vineyard and some other seed. It says there, if you benefit from it, you're going to be liable even if it's not in the normal way of benefiting. Why? Because because over there it doesn't say eating when with kilea kerem. It says pentikdash. It says that it's going to become condemned. Tikdash there has the meaning, even though usually kadosh means holy, it has the meaning of uh, of sort of like uh, has to be. You have to separate from it. Okay, so meaning you have to, you cannot benefit from it. You have to destroy it. Rashi says tesrofenu. Uh, right. So, uh, but the point is that kilea kerem is something that where the benefit. It's almost like you could say that um, a way to think of it is that. Kilea Kerem, it's the symbol of it that is significant, not giving any value to it by benefiting from it. It's not really the eating of it. Eating is just one of many ways you might attach value to the Kilea Kerem. And so it, it doesn't say eating there, whereas normally we take the prohibition of eating and we say, well, the eating is just an example of ways you can benefit, but it, the primary way of benefiting is from eating. Right here, Kilea Kerem, it never says anything about eating. So it's almost like any way that you can give significance or value to it is bad. And it doesn't matter if it's eating or not. So there's no limit on the possible ways that one could benefit and you would still be liable when it comes to Kilea Keren. So then he says, How do you know that you're not allowed to eat meat and milk? Because you might find that a strange question, but actually, you know, it never says in the Torah you're not allowed to eat it. You know, it says you're not allowed to cook it. So that's that's one pasuk. And then it also says, And the rest of that pasuk is, So these two pasukim refer to the Jewish people as a holy people. One is, It talks about meat and milk. The other one is Vyanche Kodesh Tiyunli. That talks about not eating a trefa. So obviously, just like a trefa, you're not allowed to eat. So Basabuchalav, you're not allowed to eat. So it's taken from the implication of the word kadosh, that you're a holy people, that just like when it refers to an item of eating, a potentially edible item, in the case of Trifan, it says you're holy, you can't eat this one. It says you're holy and not to cook basab chalav, it also means not to eat basab chalav. So the thing is, so that only tells me that I'm not allowed to eat it. What about benefiting? Specifically, Trifan, we know you're allowed to benefit from. Right? So it says to throw it to the dogs. So how do you learn then that basab chalav is a sorba hanav? He says, the answer is, amad kal Good good logic. In other words, Orla, which is the first three years of the tree growing, giving fruits. Now, there's nothing wrong with planting a tree. There's nothing wrong with planting a tree. It's wonderful to plant trees. It's just that the first three years that it yields fruit, you're not allowed to benefit from the fruit. 
right? So lo nevda ba'avirah, there was no sin done with that tree. It's a, it's a mitzvah to plant trees, okay? However, um, the first three years, it's asur bahana'ah, the produce of the tree. So in the same way, so basabu chalav, which comes into existence ba'avirah, the process of cooking the basabu chalav is itself a sin. So certainly it should be a sorbahana. That's the kal that he's bringing. Now, now obviously there are ways that one could produce basab chalav that would not involve the navirah, like let's say an anju did or whatever. But the point is that the typical way of creating basab chalav, and according to the Torah, the only basab chalav that's prohibited from the Torah is the cooked one, right? It's cooked together. So therefore it had to come about through some uh, prohibited process. And Orla doesn't. Now if Orla is prohibited in Hana, even though it didn't come into existence through any prohibited process, so certainly basab chalav. But the Gemara d- r- disputes that. And now we turn to Kafei Amud Aleph, the very top. Ma'la orla, she'ken lo'ayta la shata kosher. You can't really compare because Orla never had shata kosher. It never had an opportunity to benefit from it. Because from the moment it came into existence, the first three years that that fruit was there, it was prohibited. There was never a, a, a window of opportunity over there. But over here, But over here, the meat and the milk, when you had the meat separately, you could have a delicious steak. Okay, and then you have cheese separately, you have a delicious cheese. You make Philly cheese steak, now it's a problem. Right before it was shata kosher. It, had, it was kosher before. So maybe, but maybe we won't be as strict with basar b'chalav as we would with orla because orla never had a window of opportunity at all. And that's why it's completely asur b'hana'a until it becomes available. But basar b'chalav, maybe we wouldn't apply such a strict standard. So it says, nah, nah, we, we don't have, that, that's not necessarily the different, so th- th- therefore we can't make a kal v'chomer, in other words, from orla to to uh, uh, to the case of the basabu chalav, so it says no. Chametz b'pesach yochiach shayalo shata kosher basur ba'ana'a. No, I'll show you a proof. Because chametz on pesach, even though you were allowed to eat bread up to the moment of pesach, right? So it had shata kosher. It had an opportunity to be able to enjoy it, and then pesach comes, and all of a sudden it's prohibited in hanaa. So too the meat and the milk separately. They were perfectly fine. Now that they're combined, it's asur b'hana'a. What's the problem? There's no, there's no such differentia. There's no such uh, concept that there's something stricter about something that was available or wasn't available for use. So the fact that orla from its very inception was prohibited doesn't make it more strict than, uh, than basar b'chalav. So the Gemara says, How can you compare Pesach where chametz is isur karet, obviously not benefiting from chametz, but the, the prohibition on chametz is isur karet. It's very strict prohibition. How can you compare that to basabu chalav? Says tomar be basabu chalav sheinok anush karet. You're going to compare that to the case of karet basabu chalav where it doesn't have karet. In other words, how can you derive from? We're trying to construct. How do we know basabu chalav is prohibited? Uh, in benefit. Now we normally think of it, oh, the famous drasha that says, oh, it says three times, oh, tevashel gedi v'chalevimo, but Isi ben Yehuda is not following that. He's saying, we learned that you're not allowed to eat basabu chalav from the case of trefa, because they're compared in exera shava. And we compare, and we say basabu chalav from orla, just like orla is prohibited in benefit, so to basabu chalav. So now it's trying to draw all kinds of distinctions. Ah, oh, but orla is different. Oh yeah, but, but chametz pesach is different and all that. It says, okay, but how about kilea kerem? Perfect example. It's, exa- it's very similar actually to Basab Chalav because Kilei Akerim, what do you have? Two things that by themselves, they're perfectly fine. Grape seed, lovely. Wheat seed, also lovely. By itself, perfect. You put them together, you have a problem, right? You're not allowed to mix the seeds. That's the, that's the whole concept of Kilei Akerim, the mixed seeds. So similar to Basab Chalav, what do you see over there? There's no current, what? Any it's mi- let's just stick with grapes because that's what everyone agrees with, okay? Yeah. So in the, you know, the other one might be midrabanan or whatever. There's a whole other, uh, it's, it's more complicated. If you take 
If you'd say, that's why it's called Kileya Kerem. That's Kerem is the vineyard. Yeah. So in, if you take the two seeds by themselves, they're good. You put them together, it's bad, right? So what do you have there? You have something that in the beginning, first of all, it's similar to Basab Chalab because in the beginning they were good and then they became bad. And they're similar to Basab Chalab because there's no karet in eating Kilaya Kerem. And yet we know that that's Asrubahana, that's clear because it says Pentigdash. It becomes totally uh, condemned. If you mix, mix it together, it's it, Asrubahana. So therefore, you should be able to prove that. She'en anush karet, So we should compare it exactly to Basab Chalab. And therefore, you see that Basab Chalab, now we can go back to our original argument. If Orla, which is something that it never uh, wasn't produced through any kind of a sin is asur bahana'ah, then basar khalab that comes about through this uh, thing you're not supposed to do should be asur bahana'ah. So ve'im ita. And if it's true, now we're going back to the original thing that we said on the previous Amud, because what was the first chidush that, uh, that we said, that Abaye said? He said, kilea kerem is so strict that even if you benefit from it in a way that is not the normal way, like you make a shampoo out of it, let's say, Right? They put all these weird seeds and stuff like that in shampoos, right? They make a shampoo out of it. Not the normal way to benefit from it. The normal way to benefit from it is something related to it's being edible. Put it in a drink, eat it, something like that. Right? So you're doing that normal way. It, it would still be, even though it's shelo keder atan. It's not the normal way to benefit from it, but you'd still be liable. That's what Abaye said. So it's saying, So why can't... The, all of this works perfectly, but there's only one. The whole reason why we brought this was to refute Abaye, basically. Abaye was claiming that Kilea Kerem, yeah, he always is always getting up on him, you know, because he always caused trouble. He always asked them questions, everything challenging, everything. So when they have a chance to gang up on him, they take the opportunity, right? So what's the thing? He said that Kilea Kerem is unique, that any way you benefit from it is equal. It doesn't matter if you eat it, if you rub it on your body, you make a shampoo, you, whatever, it doesn't matter. Okay, well, the, the, uh, but if that's true, Kilea Kerem is unique, that its rule of, of Hana'a is so strict, so then how can we use it to compare to Basar B'chalav to learn from that that Basar B'chalav should be Asur B'hana'a? Because it's a totally different thing. Kilea Kerem is much stricter. How could you compare the two? Abaye will tell you, Abaye, Tomar B'may, Tomar B'basar B'chalav, She'en lo kin alav eladir Hana'ato. Are you saying that the problem is that you can't say something about Kilayim Bakerim about Basar B'chalav because in Basar B'chalav because when it comes to meat and milk it's, you're only liable when you benefit from it in the normal way. Do you think that it says the word Achila with Basar B'chalav? It's the same as Kilayim In other words, he's saying there is no difference. That just proves my point. Basar B'chalav is a sort to benefit from it no matter what. And Kilea Kerem, it's a sort to benefit from it also, no matter what. It doesn't matter whether you're benefiting from, you can rub the cheeseburger on your skin, you're not allowed to. Even though that's Shiloh Kedir Atan, it's not the normal way to benefit from it, you're not allowed to. Just like Kilea Kerem, you make a shampoo out of herbal essences, I don't know. These things, they put all kinds of strange stuff. If it was Kilea Kerem, it would also be a problem. According to Abaye, says that there is no difference, so that just proves my point. So you can learn one from the other. Ve'idach. What about the other side? The So then, what about the the original question? Savar la'achika gamar minivela ma nivela derchanata basabu chalav derchanato. So the person who was asking against Abaye thought that when it comes to basabu chalav, since we learn it from nivela, it's actually not nivela; it's actually trefara. She says because it said van shekodesh tiyunli before it was it was using the pasuk of trefa. But the point is that since we learned it from the trefa case. 
So the implication is that it's a type of food. It's a type of eating prohibition. And if it's a type of eating prohibition, then just like every other eating prohibition, the only kinds of hana'ah that are recognized is some kind of hana'ah that relates to it as an object of food. Not a type of hana'ah that relates to it as a, some other object. Right? So, and, and I'm saying that to, be, to, to, make, to make clear because you might say, well, rubbing it on your body is one thing, but selling it is definitely considered getting hana'ah. So why is that not allowed? Meaning, if, you, if the only type of hana'ah that, that is derech hana'ato, so what about, uh, what about selling it? You're not allowed to do that. But the fact is that when you sell it, you're selling it as a food. So it's still considered to be benefiting from it as a food. Even though that's also called derech hana'ato because you're selling it as a food. You're not selling it as uh, something else. So that's so... You're deriving benefit from it as a food. That's the point. If you rub it on your body, right? Let's say you take a cheeseburger from McDonald's and rub it on your body. Okay, aside from the fact that it's probably going to cause you health problems, right? But you rub it, you're going to absorb all kinds of chemicals from that. But let's say you did that, right? That's called shelokeder chana'ato. That's not the normal way because who rubs cheeseburgers on their body? Nobody, right? Now, but if you sold the cheeseburger, that's normal thing because you're selling it as a food, you see? Now, if you put it on your body, that would be shelokeder chana'ato. But Abaye is saying that shelokeder chana'ato, still you're not allowed. No benefit from basar b'chalav at all. Even if you want to rub it on your skin, you learn from some guru on YouTube that's good for acne. I don't know. All kinds of weird ideas. It doesn't matter. You're going it, to... It, it's still Asur. Same thing with Kilea Karam. The other guy is saying, whoever it is, the anonymous Maksheh that's asking questions, he says, no, it's just like every other food. Unless you, unless you benefit from it as a food, it's not called benefit. Okay? Now going back. So, uh, Abaye is telling you that from the fact that it does, this is exactly the reason why he doesn't say the word that the point is that Basabakhalav is different. And, and as I said before, just like with Kilea Kerem, it's almost like Basabakhalav and Kilea Kerem have something in common, which is they're taking two distinct things that are supposed to be kept separate and they're combining it together. In both cases, it doesn't clearly say you're not allowed to eat it. It says don't cook the Basabakhalav, it says don't plant the Kilaim Bakerem. Okay, don't create the mixture because the mixture itself represents something that we want to keep separate. This is a philosophical reason you could go into it. Well, Kilea Kerem, there's a beautiful Ramban actually about it. Kilea uh, Kerem, that it's about, uh, it's a little bit into philosophy, but saying that Hashem created the species to be distinct and you're blurring the distinction Hashem created in the world, Chukim, that are, you know, laws of nature and you're, you're, you're mixing it around and you're, you're not preserving what Hashem created and that, you know, you shouldn't do that. So, you know, so there's something symbolic upsetting about the Kilaim Bekerim. The eating it is just a way that you are like endorsing it and accepting that bad thing. But there, right. But oh, the same thing with Basar B'chalav. Basar B'chalav, uh, Basar is the animal is dead. Chalav is, gives life to the animal. You're taking the life and death. You put it together. Whatever the significance of that is. But the point is that it's not supposed to be mixed. So eating it is just one way of many that maybe you're showing that you accept that Bad mixture, but it's not the, the mix. The eating itself is just one of many ways you could do that, right? So now again, um, what is so he says? Why don't we ask the question? Because the whole question, the reason why we didn't want to compare orla, right? The orla to the uh, uh, to the basab uh, was because orla never had an opportunity to be kosher. Meaning, the first three years of the fruit. They're never, they were never allowed. There wasn't like, oh, it became prohibited. Like, chametz becomes prohibited. Basabu Chalav was meat and it was milk separate. It became prohibited. It's not comparable. So why don't you say the same thing about Kilaya Keret? 
Kilea Kerem, lo aitalashat kosher. The minute you put it into the ground, it became Kilaim Bakerem. Now, obviously, it's not counting the part before you mixed it together, right? So it says, Amravada Barava, Zotomeret, Kilea Kerem, Ikaran Nesarin. Because the original assumption was that that even once you put them in the ground, okay, they and they grow roots. The original assumption was that when does kilaim bakerim happen? It happens uh, the minute that you put it in the ground, then it takes root. So that is when the kilaim bakerim prohibition takes effect. Okay, if it grows. Further than that, we're going to see. If it grows further than that, in other words, you might have thought that ikaran enan nesarin, which means that the original two seeds that you put in the ground are not the ones that become prohibited. It's what they produce afterwards that grows from that that becomes prohibited. It's like, no, you see from this that kilekem ikarim nesarim, that's why it said shaloita shatakosher isn't true because the original two seeds that were permitted now will become prohibited later. If you thought that kilaim bakerim, that the mixed seeds only, only create prohibition in what grows from them afterwards, the plants that extend out from them afterwards, then you'd be right that they had, uh, that, that there was never a time that something called kilaim bakerim was permitted because the original two seeds were never prohibited and only what grew afterwards from it and developed afterwards was prohibited. But now that we say ikarin nesarim, which means that the original two seeds themselves become prohibited, they definitely had a moment that they were permitted. When? And then they became prohibited. The moment you plant it. No, no, it takes root. The moment it takes root. It takes root. Because yeah. two weeks. Right. By the time they take root, the original seeds disintegrate. Right, disintegrates, right. Meaning that original piece of the plant itself becomes kilayim bekerim. Even though you don't have to wait for new things to grow out of the ground from yeah. the the root itself will become kilaim bekerim. Okay, so now it says matir rav shemayam aviratzitz nakov bekerim imosif matayim masorosif in lo sif lo. If you walk with a pot through a kerim, don't do this. You walk with a perforated pot. Okay, that's uh, some vegetables growing in there through a kerim through a vineyard. So what happens? We always say atzitz nakov. It's as if it's attached to the ground, right? Because it has a, it has holes in the bottom. So if you walk through the if you walk through the kerim, it's as if you know you're, it's it's planted in the kerim. So what's the problem? If you do that, so you'd have to wait there quite a while for this to happen, right? If it increases, if it grows while you're standing there, right? So now it's considered to be connected to the kilayim. In other words, if you stood there a long time and it grew enough that it's le- that there's more, it says matayim. In other words, because just like we said, truma is 100 against 1 to make it batel. Kilayim bakerim is 200 against 1. So if more it increased more than, uh, you know, 0.5% in the time that you're standing there, or you have to stand there for a long time, right? It went to 0.6% of growth. So that part will make the whole plant in your hand into kilayim bakerim, whatever you're growing in there. I don't know, uh, you know, whatever you have to be growing there. But the point is that, that, that would be, but what do you see? Only the stuff that grows subsequently becomes kilayim bakerim. That's the implication because it's saying hosif. It's only what grew after that mixture was created that creates kilayim bakerim. Not what was before. So it says, no. So Amar Rava says, there are two psukim, ketiva zera uchtiv hamle'ah. It says a zera hamle'ah. These are two things that it says about kilayim bakerim. The seed and the fullness of it. Ha-ketzad, zawa mi'ikaro v'ashrashah. The original planting becomes prohibited when it takes root. But zero ba osif i lo osif lo. But if something was already planted and grown, not the seeds. 
something is already planted and grown, the only way it can become prohibited as kilayim bakerim is if it now grows together, grows further than that. Okay, so that's, that's logical and it makes perfect sense. In other words, the seeds have to. It's not that the seed, the original seeds or the original root don't become prohibited. They do become prohibited, but that's talking about the original. But once there's already, let's say, kerim there. Or there's other stuff that already that you're moving over to the new area. Simply putting it into the ground doesn't do anything until they grow together at least somewhat. Okay, that, that's the difference between seeds and plants that are already planted. Either way, the point is that that kilayim bakerim from the beginning, from the seed itself, from the original seed that's mixed together, put in the ground, will become prohibited. But prior to that, even when you first put it in the ground, that it hasn't taken root yet, it was permitted. Still, you could take it out of the ground, and it would be no problem. And so, therefore, it had shata kosher. It had a moment that it was kosher, just like basab uh, chalav. And therefore, you could compare the two. Okay, now. Uh, you can use anything for healing but you can't use idol stuff stuff for the you can't use parts of an idol the asherah is actually the, uh, the idol right? you cannot use that for your um, so what's the case if you're in danger then you should be able to use it if you're not in danger in other words if you're in danger so don't we say that a person can save their life what's the problem with using it for healing you're not worshipping the uh, the you're just you're benefiting from it you're not worshipping it right so if you're so if you're in danger your life is in danger you should be able to use it in order to heal and if you're not and if your life is not in danger that's too extreme. Then, uh, what's extreme? Life in danger. Life in danger. I mean, life in danger versus everything else. Now you want to bring right. life in danger. Oh, if your life is in danger, oh, the burger. Well, it's saying if you can't. Well, that's the whole point. That, well, no, no, that's exactly the point. That's exactly the point. He's saying if you, if what case are we talking about that you can use prohibited things, things you're not allowed to benefit from normally. Okay. So no, what no, case no. are you allowed to heal from it? If we're talking about where your life is in danger, so it's obviously you could use it. So, so what's the question, right? If your life is not in danger, why do you have to use that? So just uh, take a Tylenol and uh, write. I don't know. Why, why do you have to use atzayashira? That, that's exactly the question. So the Gemara says no because. So it says, uh, it says, Leolam We're talking about in danger. You still can't use Atzeyashua, even if your life is in danger, because it's considered involvement in idolatry. And we know, If it says you have to love Hashem with all your soul, right? Why does it say Bechol Meodecha? Meodecha usually refers to your money. This is a very famous Rashi even says it, right? Certain people care more about their body than their money. Right? That's why it says, uh, with all your soul you have to serve God. Right? There's some people that care more about their money than their life. Right? Like the, the comedian used to say, the funny comedian, uh, Jewish comedian, where the guy, robber says, your money or your life, and he doesn't answer him. And he says, what is it, your money or your life? He said, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. <laughs> you know? You know, so that that's the that's uh, So the thing is, so so she says explains. You know why doesn't the Torah just take the whole nafshecha? That should be obvious. I mean, if you your life is the most important thing, if you have to give that out of your love of God, right? You would have to sacrifice your life out of your uh, devotion to Hashem rather than be involved in idolatry. So then certainly you should be, have to give up your money for that. So it's saying no because some people would rather give up their life than their money. Right? So that's a, so, and Rashi says here, he says, 
says, You have to love Hashem more than anything else dear to you, whatever the most dear thing is. And, and the, what Rashi says is that a person who benefits from the idol, it's as if he's accepting that the idol has power. It's as, it looks as if he's giving some credence to the idol. That's the problem. So for idolatry, that's one of the things that we say, You're not allowed to do it even at the cost of your life to worship idolatry. Right, now there's a discussion about, well, what is he really doing here? He's not really worshiping it. So, right, so Rashi answers that, uh, sort of anticipates that question by saying that by taking it and using it, it's almost like you're giving it some power. You're acknowledging it in some way. Yeah, other, yeah, other, yeah, you're giving it healing power. It's like, uh, uh, it's like other, uh, other commentaries say, no, anything related to Avodah is included in that rule that you can't, be mitra you're not allowed to use idolatry to because it's a any kind of giving of value to the idolatry is bad. So we turn to Amud Bet, right? Um, so so it says, oh I'm sorry, I skipped about no we didn't turn, turn to Amud Bet yet. Right? It says, right. also there are three things, right? Which are we know are the things that are that if a non Jew were to force you to, uh, to do them, you would have to give up your life. In addition to idolatry, is giloy arayot and shvichut amim, is murder and sexual immorality. Right? hadaman. We already showed you the pasuk for idolatry, but giloy arayot and shvichut amim. Where do we get the idea about giloy arayot and shvichut amim? The Tanya, as we learned in the Brighton, Rabbi Omer, when it talks about a man who forcibly assaults a married woman, a woman who is in Araham Orasa, she is in, engaged, but really she's married halachically. And he takes her and he tries to, he, he assaults her sexually. So it says it's just like, a, she is not punished. It says, She doesn't have any sin because, Because it's just like any other case where you're a victim. Just like somebody who kills someone, we don't blame the victim, we don't blame the victim here. So what does Why does it use the example of a murderer? Actually, what, what happens here is it comes to teach you something, but we end up learning something about it. Just like you're allowed to save the Naram If you see a woman who's being pursued to be raped, you're allowed to save her, even if it means you have to kill the person who's chasing her. You're allowed to, you're supposed to try to disable him first. But if you can't, then you're allowed to kill him. So too is it true that a murderer... What? If, she, if it's any giloy any inappropriate thing, you were allowed to stop him with, uh, with uh, even with force. Right? Meaning, meaning if it wasn't, she wasn't married or anything? Mm-hmm. I mean, nowadays, every, you know, what, what this would exactly apply to, it depends. But uh, I guess if it's a woman who is... Totally single and totally uh, went to the mikveh. Therefore, she's not nidan. Every other thing. So then, maybe you would have a situation where it's not considered arayot. But I think in, you know. But uh, it's still, you would have be able to stop him, just like you stop anybody from any other assault. Maybe you wouldn't be able to kill him, right? But it, but 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 it's arguable. But from what the from the way that these halachot are codified, it seems like it doesn't even matter that any gilui arayot because because the Rambam actually says that let's say a man is obsessed with a woman, right? He's obsessed with a woman, and he says, I just want to talk to her from behind the fence. I, I, uh, that's how I'll heal. He says, no, you can't do it. Why? She's a single woman. What's the problem? She doesn't want to marry him, obviously. No, he's obsessed with her. He's going to die from it. He's psychologically, he's, he's crazy. Literally crazy about her, right? So what, what do you do? The Ramam says, too bad, let him die. The, we're not going to make Benot Yisrael into an object, you know? Yeah, we're not going to make them into an object. Even behind the fence? Even behind the fence. Wow. 
He says, no. So meaning, anything which is related, that same concept that I was saying before, that anything related to Avodah Zorah is considered Avodah Zorah. It doesn't say, this is an interesting thing, also in Hilchot Kiddush Hashem of the Rambam, it's a little bit off the topic, but he never talks about the technical rules of Avodah Zorah. It's any Avodah Zorah you have to, is considered Yehari or any Gilui Arayot. Gilui Arayot means sexual immorality. It's a very broad category. The technicality about, well, is she, you know, what kind of a Gilui Arayot is it? It seems like anything is, all things are, are equal in this area. So I don't think you have to make those kind of distinctions, even though technically it might be that she's single and she's not Nida, so technically there's no violation of Gilui Arayot, except that he's being, a, you know, he's doing something bad, but it's not Gilui Arayot technically, but that still comes under the category of Gilui Arayot because he's still treating her as an object. That's Gilui Arayot. It means like uh, acting in a, uh, 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 you know, in a way that is animalistic. It doesn't matter, you know, it doesn't matter the technicality sometimes. But in any case, that's what we learned from that, that you're allowed to save her by killing him. Okay, and then we also learn, So, so too, if someone's chasing somebody to kill someone, obviously we can save him by killing the murderer. And we also learn the other way around it. Just like a murderer, if you're in a situation where you're told to kill somebody, um, or you're going to be killed, you're not allowed to kill the other person. Similarly, in the case of Naram um, meaning in the case of Gilui Arayot, we would say that a person should rather give their life than engage in Gilui Arayot. There's no qu- it, it, so that's the, um, the in, that's why they, they have a fair, very famous discussion about Estera Malka and the whole situation with uh, Achashverosh. But with, I don't want to get too far afield. The point is that these three areas, Gilui Arayot, Shvichud Damim and Avodazar, all of them you have to, it's before you have to die before, um, before committing them. And we learn from the fact that murder and rape or whatever it is are connected to each other so um, that they learn from each other meaning just like you're allowed to save the woman who's being pursued by the li- even by taking the life of the pursuer you're allowed to do that in the case of murder and just like is you would rather give up your life than engage in the same is true for murder Okay, the, so now it says, How do you know that? Because you're saying just like the murderer has to give up his life before commit, meaning just like if you're in a situation where you're being forced to kill someone else, you have to give up your life rather than do it. So too, you have to give up your life before Gilo Yarayot. But how do you know that a murderer has to give up his life or a potential murderer has to give up his life before doing it? It says, It's actually just a logic. Okay, because like a person who came in front of Ravan, he said to him, uh, he said, uh, and he said to him, he said to him, um, so he said that the um, that the person in charge of the city, right? I guess Doraim comes from the word like Dira, the place where I live, right? The master of the city said to me, you have to go kill so and so, and if you don't, I'm going to kill you. Right, so he asked Rava, what should I do? You know, these situations happened in the Holocaust. You hear a lot of stories like that. But you should let him kill you and don't kill. How do you know that your blood is more red? This is a very famous, right? Maybe the blood of the, it's a very, very famous Gemara uh, also. That How do you know that your blood is more red than the other person's blood? Maybe his blood is redder than yours in the eyes of Hashem. Who are you to decide who should live? Says more Baravashi Ashkachil Ravina. One time more Baravashi saw uh, Ravina the Shayip le la librate be goharke de orla. What? Yeah, he saw. What did I miss something? What did I miss? Oh, okay. That he saw that he was putting on his daughter like the uh, something of orla. I think it was an oil, right? He was putting on her. Does it explain exactly what it was? I think. 
Above, what does it say? Shake. It says it was rubbing it on her. Oh, from the uh, from the young olives, right? From the young olives, he was squeezing on, I guess, the juice or whatever is rubbing it on her, uh, on her body. And uh, and they said to her, "How can it was orla though?" That's one thing to do that in a time of danger. But who said you could benefit from orla when it is not uh, when it's not a time of danger? So the illness that she had, some kind of a fever. Um, that she had was dangerous. So therefore was considered the sakanat nefashot, therefore I'm allowed to benefit from the orla, or right, the, the other answer is like what we saw before, that it's not considered it's not considered the normal way to benefit from orla, to rub it on your skin. And whereas we said with kilea kerem, and we said with basar wachalav, it doesn't matter if you benefit from it in the normal way, you're an abnormal way. When it comes to orla, it does matter whether you benefit from it in the normal way or the abnormal way. And since this is not the normal way to consume orla, to rub it on the skin, it would not not be considered hanaa. So that's two answers. One answer is that it was a sakana. There's it was hanaa, but it was it was a danger, and that would mean that the 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 hana that he's getting from it is regarded as hanaa, but it was it was over. We override it because of pikuach nefesh. Alternatively, um, that we're saying that the. Um, that we're saying that the uh, that it's not really a uh, it's not really a hanaa at all because it's not the typical way from that we benefit from things. Now the next piece is actually going to go all the way to the next uh, amud. That basically it's going to talk about um, uh, it's going to talk about the question of a person who's in a situation where they benefit from things against their will. I'm tempted to start it, but I, it's like a whole. I don't want to cut it off in the middle, so I think we'll start it tomorrow. Anyway, we're up to 8 a.m., so that's usually our cutoff time. So, we'll start this tomorrow, and we'll try. Since we're going to probably be on Zoom, I'm assuming because they're expecting so big snow. Let's. I think we should we should announce it as Zoom. Just 